What I want to do, though, for the next few minutes is hopefully say some words which help us make sense of what we're doing here. Uh, and what I mean by that is what we're doing here tonight, yes, but also what we're doing at the moment, what this season, this Advent season is all about. You see, it's not actually Christmas yet. I don't know if any of you have already been handing out the happy Christmas vibes to people around you. If you have, you're a little premature. We're not yet at Christmas, we're still in Advent. And for, for Christians, for people who are trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus and to look at Jesus, Advent is a really important part of the year. Now the word Advent comes from a Latin word, Adventus, and it means the arrival of a notable person or thing. The arrival of a notable person or thing. And for us, what we're trying to do in this season is to prepare for the arrival of, for Christians, the most notable person there ever was, Jesus. And anybody who's prepared for the coming of somebody very special, maybe a mother or father-in-law or somebody similar at Christmas, knows that you have to do the proper preparation. Somebody important's arrival demands and requires preparation. We need to get ready for somebody's coming to us. And typically, there, there are different ways that we go about doing that over Christmas time, aren't there? And one of the most sort of uh, culturally entrenched ways that we do that is through uh, the liturgy, the medium of the Advent calendar. Is anybody willing to admit owning an Advent calendar here? Wow, excellent. That's at least 50% of you. Well, I'm speaking to you, and I'm speaking to the other 50%, the curmudgeons who don't get on board with those things. Now, I want to begin with, uh, we're going to go through a, a, a brief history of Advent calendars. Here's the kind of Advent calendar I grew up with back in the day, and uh, that is a traditional, and I've got to say fairly boring, Advent calendar, which is just literally all calendar and no gift. You open up the card, and behind it is simply more card with a number on it. This is the kind of thing that I grew up with back in the day. When I were a lad, this is what you got. Now, these days, the bog standard is way beyond this. The bog standard is the next calendar that we're going to see here. And it's the chocolate calendar. You can, I don't think you can even buy a just a card calendar anymore. Pretty much every calendar now has, at the very least, chocolate in it. And I think we can uh, be grateful for that. Now, uh, things have advanced even further, and a third option here, particularly those of you who like building things, is the Lego Advent Calendar. Every day, a little task, something to do, a little bit of Lego to build, uh, for those of you that like that, that kind of thing. Fourthly, and this is, honestly, this is where I get off, this is where I got off the Advent train. This is cheese. <laughs> this calendar, in case you were wondering, has to be kept in the fridge. That <laughs> defies the point. This is cheese. What on earth would possess anybody to want to have cheese every morning? Uh, anyway, there are people that enjoy that. I think this, was, uh, this kind of calendar is coming in the last couple of years. It's available from Asda and Sainsbury, should you wish to get on board. And by the way, Advent calendars have gone down in price since Advent began. Next, and you might think this is an advance. These are available at John Lewis. On the left, we have the gin Advent calendar. I know, I know, I know, I know. Sorry to tell you that. And on the right, we have the wine advent calendar. Now, I give you simply a word of warning here. And that is that 25 days is a habit-forming habit period of time. <laughs> so you really want to be careful what you indulge in over Advent. 
And finally, Selfridges have put out an option there for those of you who like the finer things in life. And I think it requires uh, me to run through Selfridges PR. Here's what they say. We all remember the excitement of opening the Advent calendar, counting down the days to the main event. But this Christmas, we're looking for something better than chocolate. Here comes Selfridges putting together the best beauty bits of the season in this glam sparkle calendar. With the help of best-selling brands, Kiehl's, Lancome, Urban Decay, Victor and Rolf, and YSL. What's inside each drawer? Drawer? There are drawers. What's inside each drawer? You'll have to wait and see. And for £130, you can find out. Preparation. It's all about the preparation. Now what we see when we read and hear the Christmas story told to us is that there was a whole lot of preparation that went on. Last week, if you were here, we talked about Mary's preparation. This week, I want to focus in on some unsung heroes, the magi, or as our reading had it, the scholars. Because these people, these scholars who come to Jesus, they get the fact that preparation is required to make the most of meeting Jesus. Who are they? Well, they're scholars of a certain sort. They're astrologers or astronomers. They're uh, people who are known really as the scientists of the day. And they come from the east. It could have been Iraq, Iran or Yemen, that kind of area. Which is where all of the best scholars at this point were seen to come from. And they travel an awful long way to get to Jesus. It could have been uh, up to anything up to 400 miles. So it's a serious commitment. These people are committed. And they're committed. They do the preparation in terms of bringing a gift as well. They bring hugely valuable gifts. We don't know anything about the quantity of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But we know that these gifts were gifts of value. So they're fully committed to the process. And they bring gifts of huge value. Now they come in a group as well. Our nativities really let us down here. We're used to thinking of three kings coming to Jesus. But actually, the scriptures never say that there were three gifts. Probably many more kings than that. A whole band, a school of kings probably coming together. Of magi approaching. And and probably what would have happened is that as they were approaching Jerusalem, those in Jerusalem would have seen them coming. They may have even been terrified. In fact, the text tells us that people were terrified. They believed they had reason to be terrified. And they came looking for a king. In fact, it says, they say, where can we go and pay homage? Where can we go and worship? Where can we find this king? And where can we bow down before this king? That's what we've come to do. Their intention is clear. They've set their sights on meeting with a king. And so, they go exactly where you would expect to go to meet with the king. They head straight for the city center, the capital, Jerusalem. And they go to the the palace of Herod, the current king of the Jews. And they ask him, hey, where's the new king? Let us know we've come bearing gifts to worship. And we've done our preparation. Can you let us in? Give us the inside track. Where is the king? Now, just as an aside, you need to know this, but Herod was a piece of work. A real cretin. Horrible creature. He was known as being an oppressive leader. He was clearly deeply insecure. 
He was really all about building himself up, about establishing his own power base. He lived in Jerusalem. He was known as, king, as the king of the Jews, but he was really um, a puppet king. His power was borrowed from uh, Rome. He didn't have a lot uh, of credibility in his own steam. He was a tyrant and he was tricky. He tried to get the, uh, the wise men to give him the details of Jesus' whereabouts so that he could put him to death. In fact, he put to death a whole generation of young Jewish boys. This is a horrid, horrid person. Ruled by ego. What's fascinating about the story and what I really want you to catch hold of this evening is this. That this king who was to be born, this king who was born, Jesus, was not born in the palace. Wasn't born in and around the temple. That is to say, the king wasn't born in the places of power. This king wasn't born in the religious spaces. This king wasn't born in the capital city, Jerusalem, at all. This king was born totally outside of the way in a place called Bethlehem. Look where the scholars, look where the scholars find the new king. This incredible story takes place well off the beaten track in a little place called Bethlehem. Famous now through songs, but back then a place that you wouldn't really even bother mentioning. This king was born not in a castle, not near or in a temple, but probably in the downstairs room of a house where sometimes animals would be kept. I'm sorry to say it wasn't a stable. And born not in some kind of presidential suite, but laid in a manger for a bed. The kind of thing that would have been used for animals when they were in that space. Born not to a king, but to a young and a poor, unknown couple. Not in wealth, but in poverty. Born not to the fanfare of a state welcome, but to the fanfare of an angelic welcome way outside the city. The stinking shepherds. Only they get to hear it. And look who is in on the secret. A poor virgin girl. A 12-year-old, perhaps, maybe as old as 14, who had made space in her life for God to take up residence in her, her womb. Some shepherds, we don't have time to go into this, but the kind of people that would be barred from religious gatherings. They were seen as being dirty, unclean, the kind of people you wouldn't let come to your party because you'd expect them to turn up drunk. Smelt too bad. They didn't speak the right way. They didn't have the right language. And then these kings, not even acquainted with God, pagans, outsiders from countries way far away. Not the kind of people that you trust. In truth, those people who get in on the act, those people who are first to the bedside of this new king, are the people that aren't normally invited to the bedside of royalty. And you see, the only qualification required for meeting this Jesus, for coming before this new king, whose kingdom is about to turn the world on its head, the only real qualification is that you would be willing to show up. And the people with the most power, and the people who were most religious, that is to say the people who had most to lose weren't interested. But it was the people who had space in their lives, maybe were desperate enough to hear 
and to respond. They were the ones who got to come to this party. You see, we are told that God helps those who help themselves. And I'm here to tell you tonight, nothing could be further from the truth. This story flies in the face of that. What we see, in fact, is that God helps those who want help, who admit that they need help, who are willing to create space in their life to receive help, who are willing to humble themselves by kneeling down at a stinking manger, who are willing to travel a huge distance and give the wealth that they have and the willing to create space in their lives. They're willing to come and see him. And not much has changed. Look around you if you can see. I can see this blinding light just to my left. Can't see any of you over there. Hi. Look around you. We're just, all of us, ordinary people. None of us, I wouldn't have thought, would say that we're living the perfect life The Instagram perfect manicured life. Fill in the box, whatever that would look like for you. The perfect family, perfect relationship, the perfect kids, partner, dog, garden, I don't know, furniture. It's amazing the amount of nonsense that goes on Instagram. The perfect marriages, the perfect whatever. Real life is just way more messy than that, isn't it? And if what it takes to connect with God is that we become perfect, if preparation for God means perfection, then in reality, none of us are going to be able to meet that demand. But what we see in this story is the complete shifting, a complete reverse, that God doesn't wait for us to become perfect before he comes to us, but in fact, God comes to us in the form of this weak and feeble baby. And in so doing, he breaks down the barriers that exist between humanity and divinity. God becomes a boy, a baby boy. And God does it and he enters, it's scandalous by the way, he enters into the midst of all our mess, our brokenness. And he opens himself up to our brokenness. In fact, as we read on in the story, he becomes broken for us. And that is good news. Because it means that Jesus is well acquainted with mess. Always has been and he always will be. It means that Jesus could show up in any mess. Anytime. The mess of a broken relationship. The mess of a broken family. The mess of a broken heart. Broken career. A broken anything. Jesus could show up in the mess of that. And he does... And he will. And all it takes is that we are willing to see him, to let him show up, to invite him in, in the middle of the mess. This is not a sanitized story. It sounds great in song, but it's gritty and it's earthy. Jesus meets us just where we are. And that is where the the invitation is. That just as you are and just where you are, you can invite him to be where you are. 
to welcome this king, this Jesus, into the ordinary life you're already living. Put simply, it's an invitation to say yes to God in the mess, to come to bring in what you do have. And in return to receive something better than the advent calendars full of cheese and whatever else. (laughs) Even better than what you may have just purchased on Amazon Prime, and I'm hoping comes in time for Christmas. You can have what he has. You give him what you have and you get what he has. And what he has is joy. And what he has is peace. And what he has is grace. And what he has is mercy. And what he has is kindness. And what he has is tenderness. And what he has is love. A love that never fails. This is the good news. And all of this is possible because he first showed up to us. He bridged the distance. He came the distance to us. He has come to us. And maybe you came here for the carols. Sure of the fact that this God business isn't for you. Maybe you don't feel like you belong in the religious spaces, in the temples or the palaces, the churches. You feel uncomfortable here. You don't know the language. You don't know when to sit down or to stand up, to put your hands up in the air, to put them down by his side. Consider this, when God shows up in the flesh, he gives the temple a wide berth. He implants himself in the womb of a poor servant girl. Consider the possibility that if God invites them to be part of his story, there might also be a place for you. Consider the idea that Jesus, who is and forever will be God's son, has something for you this year. That he might indeed want to rock up in the middle of your home into the middle of your life, in the midst of the mess of the Amazon Prime boxes. What if that is exactly what he's trying to do? What if that's what this evening is about? Advent is a time to get ready. Not just to get ready for Christmas, but I submit to you to get ready for a new thing, a better thing, even than Christmas, even than cheese in an Advent calendar. What does it mean to get ready? It means to ask him in.